We want to go to Matthew chapter 4 and look at some elements in the account of the temptation of Christ. I think there's a lot we can pick up on this. God has called us all to be overcomers in the midst of whatever we face, with every temptation that we experience. The Bible says God has made a way of escape. So in the midst of temptation, we can say no. We don't have to say yes. The Bible says don't yield your members or your bodily instruments as vessels to be used by the adversary. So in Matthew 4, beginning with verse 1, then was Jesus led up into the, led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungry. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful that we have this opportunity to look into your scriptures. We ask you to speak to our hearts now and speak clearly and help us to see what you've placed in your word. We are so happy to be able to fellowship during these trying times. But we love you from the depths of our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's interesting that when we talk about temptation, that we have to emphasize that all of us face it. Really no need to state the obvious. None of us are perfect. However, all of us deal with temptations in different ways. But Jesus left us a model. And he showed us how we are to deal with it. But first, we have to learn that sometimes we're led into a place to be tempted. And you can see from verse 1, sometimes it's the Spirit of God that leads you along that path. Sometimes God the Holy Ghost takes you down certain roads that are specifically designed for you to have to use your faith to overcome the adversary and to resist the adversary. Now, you might ask the question, why does God permit the devil to get that close? The same reason he permitted the devil to get so close to Adam and Eve. See, He made the garden, put them in it, told them, here are the parameters Here are the boundaries. You don't go any further than this. But the adversary doesn't live by anything that God says. He wants to do his own thing. He's trying to bring us along. And that's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve did not have to fall for what the adversary said. But sometimes in our Christian life, just like God led Israel out of Egypt, and the Bible says he didn't take them a certain pathway Otherwise, they would have saw warfare and became fearful and turned and fled to Egypt. But it says he led them by the way of these mountains and then the Red Sea. So our paths have already been designed by God for us. Yours is different than mine. Mine's different than yours. But if we're going to be on the path, we have to understand that under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, when the adversary comes to bring temptation to us, he's always the one trying to get us off of the path. Any thought, any notion, any person who comes into your life to pull you away from the path of God and the righteousness of God, that person is not operating according to the king. And you have to be willing to resist them. It could be family, could be friends. Certainly enemies could get involved with that. But you have to be willing to say no whenever it happens. Because the devil 
He's not going to just come to you as a spirit with a pitchfork and horns on his head in a red suit with a long tail. He's going to come to you in somebody's body wearing a pair of pants, a dress, a suit, or whatever he has to wear because he needs a human body through which he can animate himself. The same way God the Holy Spirit wants to live in us as his temple and wants to manifest Christ through how we live, the devil desires the exact same thing. And he's constantly bringing people into your life to talk to you while you're on your path trying to walk with the king so that you'll be easily distracted. The devil knows that when you're distracted, you're not going forward. You're not doing what God wants you to do. So verse 2, it says the Lord fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Now fasting is important and we should uh, live a fasted life if it's Within your ability, what do you mean by live a fasted life? You know, when you know when you want three or four pieces of breaded rabbit, just get one. See, if you feel like you want a big, huge scoop of burn ends, just get a little one. Be moderate. But fasting is important because aside from the fact that it's in the scripture, the Lord told the disciples one time, the reason you couldn't handle This demon spirit is because he's only driven out by fasting and prayer. And fasting is the one thing that allows you to humble yourself in the sight of God. Isaiah 58 makes it very plain. This is the fast that God likes. Now, why is it that we don't like fasting? Because we like food. And we like to be governed by our bellies. But fasting has to do with the denial of the body uh, when it comes to food and drink. I can go in different ways because the, the first sin committed in the Bible had to do with food. They saw the fruit on the tree. They ate of it. And when people talk sometimes about being on you know, a fast, their doctor put them on and they're drinking protein shakes and every other kind of thing you can think of has got more nutrients than a, than a meal filled with pork chops. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fasting. In the Bible, fasting is when a person does not put any food in their bodies, except maybe water sometimes. But even in the case of Esther, you remember that in Esther, they even had the cattle fast and not a human or a beast was given water or food. So as a Christian, then, when we when we fast, we we want to be wise. If you are on a whole lot of medicine and stuff like that, then you've got to be. Uh, careful, you know, there's some people, they, they take 30, 35, 40, 50, 150 pills a day. They can't do that on the empty stomach, so they're having to eat something. But I will tell you this, learn to live a fasted life. Forego breakfast. Turn down lunch. Try to fast from sunup to sundown. In all of our churches, we've had one day that traditionally has been the fast day. Can anybody tell me what that day is? Thursday traditionally been the fast day. So what that means is you, you get up on the Thursday. If you're going to fast sun up to sundown, then get up before sunrise. And if you're going to have something, have something. And then this way you can go 
you know, throughout the rest of the day. Now, if you have one of those occupations where you are exerting yourself and you're dealing with a whole lot of sweat being put out of your body, then you, you may have to have a glass of water. We don't want anybody nauseating, head, getting headaches and becoming ill and things like that. But we do want you to know that as you learn to live a fasted life, you become better at it and you can go longer in your fast. If you want power with God and power over this body, you need to do that. Because there's no way on this earth... You should have to wake up in the morning and about 10 o'clock, if you hadn't had a cup of coffee, you're falling apart. No, nothing should control you like that, you know. So, so, so pray and ask God to give you the grace to be able to do that. If you end up on a longer period of a fast, then God really should be directing your steps. I've met people that have gone 40 days on a fast, but, you know, you typically lose a whole lot of weight during that period. Your first Three or four days on the longer fast, I know particularly for me when I was younger and would do those things, you know, the hardest part were the first three or four days. You hit five, six, seven, your taste buds and everything just changes, just come alive on the inside of you because your body is being purged and you're not putting anything in but a little bit of water or something. However, when you take the time to fast, if you're married, the scripture says, then you communicate that with your spouse. Because during a fast, according to 1 Corinthians, then two people shouldn't come together physically. See? So you make sure you're in unity about such a thing. And when we do this, we can expect God to do some wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, I have found that when you decide to fast, everybody decides to make your favorite food. So if you can, if, if you're able and you're on your job or something like that, then, you know, carry scripture with you. Just kind of read the Bible a little bit, sneak away, spend some quiet time alone. If, if you're around the house, call yourself fasting. You may have to try to stay in another room or something like that. Isolate yourself because just the aroma of that in the beginning can be quite difficult. By the time you make it through several days, it won't bother you at all. You can sit down at a table with people that are eating a full meal. And it won't bother you at all. But Jesus fasted and left us an example, so we should do the same thing. Notice verse 3. Just because you're fasting doesn't mean the devil isn't going to come around. He's coming. And the first thing he did in verse 3 and 4 was he appealed to the fact that Jesus was in a physical body and he was hungry. And he said, command these stones to be made bread. And Jesus' response in verse 4 was, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, you wouldn't know that by the way we ate this evening. But it is true. Man is not supposed to live by bread alone, but by the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the physical body, is, it has appetites and it is strong. And usually the only time you lose your appetite is when you're ill. You're not feeling well. That's, that's a good sign. You lose your appetite that, that things aren't going well with you physically. But Jesus let the devil know, I'm sticking with the word of God. So when you determine you're going to go on a fast, then hunger pains come. Your belly starts growling. And you start feeling like, I am not going to be able to make it this period of time. You'll make it. You'll make it. Just, just don't let your body control you. You make the decision, 
you're going to make it for three hours. You make the decision, you're going to make it six hours. You make the decision, you can make it 18 hours. Just kind of go, go from there. Well, verse number five then says that the devil came and, and took him up into the holy city, put him on the, the peak of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down and, and, your, and God will give his angels charge concerning you and they'll bear you up lest you fall. So here you can see where the devil knows the Bible and he knows scripture. And when he comes quoting scripture, it's not because he wants you to obey it. He's usually trying to pull you in an opposite direction. And there are plenty of people who are like that. They, they know enough scripture to be dangerous. And they use scripture in order to tempt you and to taunt you because if you, if you say you're a son of God, then prove it. Well, he knew Jesus was the son of God. Just in the, the other chapter, the voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Satan knew who Jesus was. He just didn't care. And he doesn't care that you're a child of God. If he came to Jesus and tempted him, don't you think he'll tempt you? Yeah. He'll bring unclean thoughts. He, he wants to see every one of us in here addicted to something. He'd love to see all of us having foul languages and tempted to thievery, blackmail, anything else that he can pull us into. And if he can use scriptures to try to justify, he'll tell you, look, God made all the herbs on planet Earth. A little marijuana not going to bother you. Come on, boy. Let's light one up. And then before you know it, you have somebody running around saying there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And and with all the, the, the poppy fields that are over in Afghanistan and other places, look at how many people are using opium and at the same time trying to use the holy book to say we're justified in what we're doing. The adversary is looking for an angle or way into your life. He'll use the Bible if he has to. He said to Jesus in verse 6, just throw yourself down. Just make it look like you're about to take your life and I promise you the angels will come bear you up. So here you've got your first instance in the scripture of somebody with the idea of hang gliding. Come on, Jesus, just take the flight. Take a 30-inch step, go and dive. And the angel's just going to come and pick you up and nothing's going to happen to you. That sounds just like the devil. Yeah. He says, you don't have to worry about any harm coming to you at all. You say that you're a Christian. It's uh, the period of covid why don't you go to a fellowship meal and let's see what happens to you? See, Always looking for some way to, pro to try to produce some kind of fear or to get people to do something that they don't need to do. Look at verse, verse number seven. Jesus' response is, it's written again, you should not tempt the Lord your God. So here's how we respond. This, we, we, we use the word of God. And we let the devil know that we're not going in that direction. Now, you might say, why did Jesus speak to him? Because Jesus could have just, you know, in his mind, determined that he wasn't going to do it. And he didn't have to say anything. Well, the devil needs to hear your voice sometimes. You need to open up your mouth and let him know I am not going in that direction. I'm standing my ground because the scripture says I overcome the adversary with my faith. And the Bible says, submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee. 
So you take your stance, and when the devil's coming and he's bothering you, look, you can open up your mouth and say, look, I'm not falling for that temptation. God has delivered me. God has kept me. I'm staying on the path. Sometimes you've got to articulate it, you know. When you, you say it out loud, of course, he hears you, but you also fortify your own faith. It's important. The scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So open up your mouth and say something sometimes. If, if you know, you're a married person, if a good friend of mine, i can tell you this story, he used to work for the CIA. And so he was in Lebanon, and there was somebody who was trying to hit on him. He was doing something undercover, but he's in this location, and this lady came up to him, and he, he was happily married man. And the lady was trying to talk to him, and he, he told me, he said, I said to that lady, you, you just stay away from me. You're, you're poison to me. You'll destroy me. You'll kill me if I fall into what you're talking about. One preacher one time was in a hotel lobby and a lady walked up to him after the evening meeting. And she said to him, if you give me your room key, I'll go up to your room and I'll just wait for you to get there. And so the lobby area is filled with a whole lot of people. So the preacher just started yelling at the top of his lungs, harlot, harlot, she's a harlot. And of course, you know, she dashed out of there. But see, that can work in reverse because men can get caught up in that snare also and try to pull ladies into that. And Proverbs makes it very plain that there is someone who sits by the window and looks for a naive, simple-minded people walking by. And then when that person is enticed, they say, please come to my bed. I've cleaned the sheets. I've perfumed myself and the room. Please come and join me. And the scripture says that her bed leads to hell. Say no to temptation. Yeah, Say no to it. Doesn't matter how beautiful she is or how handsome he is, the few moments of pleasure are not going to be worth the pain that comes later from having crossed God and transgressed somebody that you love. Yeah. So Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. So verse eight, that the devil this time, he, he takes him to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdom's of the world and the glory of it. Now, this is interesting because, you know, from one one mountain peak, in order for you to see all of the kingdoms and things like that of the world, I mean, the devil essentially had to pull out a vision or something and just give somebody a glimpse of that. And this is what he did for, for, for the Lord. So here you've got your first example of an ancient motion picture scene. Jesus standing up there and all of this is presented to him. Now, to you or to me, we might have watched all of this and been tempted to think it probably wouldn't be so bad if for a moment we tried it. But, but Jesus, he says to the devil, get behind me, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, there have been plenty of people who've sold their souls to the devil. Plenty of people. And if you watch documentaries, you'll see it with actors and actresses, certainly with singers, especially with R&B blues singers and country 
Western singers. And the story typically goes like this. I was raised in church, you know, and at home we all played instruments. We liked to sing. And I can remember we sit out on the porch and I play the ukulele and somebody else played a harmonica and dad would play the steel guitar. Somebody else would blow in the bottles or whatever they were doing. And so we just had the time of our life. We go to church. Those revivals were wonderful. But then one day somebody said to me, you know, if you really want to advance your career in singing, you probably need an agent and you probably need to expand your repertoire and get outside of this gospel stuff. Maybe sing a little bit of the blues or some country western. Then before you know it, they moved from where they were to a big city. And then in that big city, they get introduced to all these different people, different skills, different relationships. Connections are made. And before you know it, they're opening for this person on tour. They become popular. Then eventually they become the person who's the main attraction on the tour. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven spouses later. See? One broken heart after another. See? Uh, once, once everything starts falling apart personally, they're still amassing all the finances and they learn to thrive on the the accolades and the, the love of the crowd. So they they just love all of that. People clapping and fawning over them. That's why you have so many people who retire and then they come out of retirement six times. I mean, retirement concert tours can one group have. I mean, the Rolling Stones have to be one hundred and five. But every time you look up, they've got a got a new Retire. This is our final tour. Poor little things can barely even move anymore holding a microphone. But they're still doing it. And they're just one of a bunch of people. Same thing with athletes. How many times do boxers have to retire before they realize you should hang up your gloves? But because they miss this. And they miss the money. They miss the praise. They're not getting it at home from their kids. They're not getting it from their family. They may not even be getting it from their spouse. So they want it, and they'll go back to where they can have it. The devil said, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. And people say, absolutely, we'll bow down. And they do it. So how are you going to handle temptation when that comes your way? One of the things I like about Mahalia Jackson was here was a lady could sing and Came through a very difficult period of her life, but she made a promise to God that she would only use her voice to glorify the king. A lot of opportunities came her way for her to sing secular music, but she refused every time. But then you take somebody else like Aretha Franklin, totally different. See, totally different. Everyone deals with temptation differently, but we should never yield to temptation if it's going to give the devil rights in our life. And anything that throws the door open for you to compromise what you believe, best to leave it alone. Look, I'd rather turn a screwdriver somewhere and make minimum wage and be happy every night that I came home and knew that I had a testimony with God than to spend my time singing songs about three-way relationships and cheating on people just so I could have people out there line dancing in front of me having the time of their life. And I'm the center of attraction with that. See? 
At some point, a person has to make a decision. What do they want to do with their life? If you're tempted to become a bartender, why would you want to tend a bar? Why? Why would you want to make that your career? If, if you were tempted to go into some kind of industry in which you couldn't glorify God and somebody promised you there's a lot of money available here. Why would you want to turn away from God just for the money? I I know that um, sometimes not having all the resources that you want can be difficult. But I can tell you one thing that no amount of money can purchase for anybody who's not right with God. That's peace of mind. Peace of mind. Yeah. I, I know a lot of stories of State Department employees Back when I used to work for the embassies and the consulates abroad, they'd send their kids off to these different schools in different countries, and the kids would come home for the different holidays and things like that. And you talk about terrible situations. They were terrible. They had plenty of money, you know. Had a house overseas, had a house on the East Coast, house on the West Coast. I know stories of people who work for oil companies in Saudi Arabia. I used to hang out at their homes and stuff like that. Wealthy beyond anything I could ever imagine. But yet, their homes were hollow. Their heart was empty. And, and over and over again, they have that same question if they could get you alone privately. Why is it that you're always happy? How, how, how can you always be laughing and teasing and joking and having a good time? We, we, we can't even do that around the house here. See, Jesus is the one that provides joy. Yeah. And, and with him, everything works the way that it's supposed to. So when, when you find yourself in the midst of temptation and you feel like the adversary is trying to pull you over here in this direction, resist him. Just let him know, I'm not going that direction. Then you take your mind and you think on things that are holy, things that are pure, things that are virtuous. I, I don't doubt that in these last days before the return of the Lord, we'll have a generation of people that are just addicted to everything they shouldn't be addicted to because of television and stuff that's on there. You know, just, oh my, just so much weird stuff that, that's on there. But verse 11 says, Then the devil leaves him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. To quote James one more time. Submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Now the sentence he will flee doesn't tell us when he will flee. It simply tells us he will flee. See, Sometimes you've got to tell people over and over again, repeatedly. No, you've got to resist the devil. Remember the story of Joseph? Here's this fine looking Hebrew boy who was working as a slave there in one of those Egyptian houses. And... uh, who was it? Potiphar, I think. His, his, uh, his wife, she, she got to looking at him. She said, oh, my, that balmy-skinned young man. Oh, I'd, I'd, oh my, I'd really love to, to have him in my embrace. And, I mean, she, she sat around. She got to dreaming about him, thinking about him, and obsessed with him is what, what happened. And so she arranged it to, to try to get close to him. And 
He said, oh, no, I can't do that. I just uh, not interested in you in that way at all. But she do you think that's going to stop her? Absolutely not. So she she waited until just about everybody was out of the house. And when he was there, she went over there to him, grabbed him and said, you will have me because I've got to have you. And he said, how can I sin against God and sin against my boss? You don't belong to me. And she obviously had a strong grip because when he took off and fled, I mean, she was still holding on to his clothing. And, uh, you know, when the story was finally told, he went to jail because of what she did. See, He was the one to blame. I don't have a doubt Potiphar, Potiphar, you know, most spouses know their spouse. So Potiphar probably knew what his wife was like. Yeah. But sure enough, Joseph is the one that that ended up in jail. And and all of you gentlemen in here tonight, you you know what it was like first time that 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 wife of yours grabbed you and held on to you, wouldn't let you go. She wouldn't wouldn't let you go. And, And then vice versa also. But the temptation is clear. It comes. But if you want the devil to leave, you've got to stay on God's side. Hard part of the temptation is that it wasn't that Potiphar's wife probably wasn't attractive. And there probably were parts of Joseph's heart and mind that wanted her, but he cared more about God. And our love for God has to be greater than our love for all these other things. David committed adultery with a lady named Bathsheba. When he should have been out in the middle of warfare and should have been swinging a sword and and shooting arrows out of a bow. He's walking around on that rooftop in the middle of the night. He sees a lady over there bathing. Don't you think that he didn't know she would be over there? He knew exactly who lived in that house next to that palace of his. I guarantee it. But when he saw her, he coveted her. He lusted after her. He brought her to him. He spent the night with her. I mean, she, she of course, in, in those ancient times, who's going to refuse the king? I mean, she should have slapped him and been clawing at him and everything else, but she didn't do any of that. Who's going to resist the king? She just gave herself to him, I imagine. But when it's all over, she goes back home, and word comes. She's pregnant. Oh, goodness. You mean tell me somebody's going to actually find out about what we did. And David's got to figure out how he's going to keep this this thing hidden. I, I cannot let it get out that she and I were up here dirty dancing. And so we've got to figure out how to hold this thing back, you know. So the, the, the story goes on. He says, okay, they're up in battle. Bring her husband home. Let her husband spend a night with her. Then they'll get together. We can blame him for the child that's coming. But he was an honorable man. That man came home and slept on the porch. He said, how can I sleep in my own bed when my fellow soldiers are out there on the battlefield? So he slept on the porch. David didn't know what to do. So in the end, he had Uriah assassinated. Terrible. And David, of course, was probably still writing them songs. He's in that temple. He's singing. 
And he's laying prostrate in the presence of God, talking to the king. And he's up there leading public worship and folks are watching him. And, and I guarantee the people in the community were looking at King David saying, we have such an honorable king, such a holy man. But did you know he was a murderer? Did you know he was an adulterer? No, they didn't know that at all. But God sent a man who was a prophet, told him a parable, a story, then put his finger right up under his nose and said, you're the man that did that. Yeah. Now, here's the key to the whole story. Bathsheba didn't make David commit adultery. It was already in his heart. It just needed a Bathsheba to bring it out. See, that's all. Just needed a Bathsheba to bring it out. It was there. Just needed a Bathsheba to bring it out. And, and when it came out and it was exposed, Psalm 51 makes it very plain. David did the right thing. He repented because the purest form of deliverance is genuine repentance. To be sorry for what we've done in offending a holy God. But I, I, I will tell you it's probably a whole lot easier to just say no in the beginning than to have to take all the twists and turns that David took. Yeah. Jesus resisted the devil three times. You may have to do it 30. You may have to do it 300 times on the same topic. But it's a whole lot easier to say no the second time after you say it the first time and it's easier to say it the fifth time after you've said it the first two. But once you yield to the adversary and you say yes that first time, it's much harder now to say no the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth time. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you placed in this book this account of our Savior's temptation. Every single one of us in here, Lord, are tempted every day in a variety of of different ways. We pray, God, that you help us to be strengthened in our inner man. Father, we would live according to your will. We would not succumb to the passions and appetites of our flesh. And God, help us to draw closer and closer to you. This we pray for in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.